0: Welcome to Beneath Your Beautiful, where guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. We embrace these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness.
1: My name is Craig Thayer. I used to introduce myself in a different way, and now, because Christianity's become more of my life and calling, I would say I'm a child of God, a husband to my great wife, Stephanie, father of five kids, and I'm blessed to be a surgeon that does trauma, vascular, thoracic, oncologic, and a little bit of pediatric surgery. And then through seeing miracles in my life, not just through medicine, but my even being here, I was able to write a book called Saved. So blessed to be here.
0: Were you always a practicing Christian?
1: So that's the interesting thing. So I was adopted and my natural mother, who my wife, who's a data analyst, almost a personal investigator, found my natural family in Michigan. So I was hatched in Michigan, or at least conceived in Michigan. And then she started a show about six months, was Catholic, and she would have been shunned in the church back in the 60s.
0: Was she unwed? Is that why? She
1: was engaged, but her husband-to-be was not going through catechism quick enough. So she ran to California, stayed with a friend, had me in Monterey, California, and then had me for 10 days, had me baptized at a local Monterey Catholic church, and uh, then gave me up for adoption. And back then there wasn't foster care. So it was an orphanage type thing for nine months where my parents who raised me, she's an Irish Catholic, and the agreement was that I'd be raised Catholic. So I was Mm -hmm. um, mandatorily fed Catholicism. But you know what, it gave me a faith and it gave me a conscience. So I would say I was definitely a believer early on in Jesus and Jesus saving us and the things that Christians believe, but not a follower. And it was probably not, I would say, wow, probably late 40s, to be honest, that my oldest daughter who was on a, a club volleyball team had a group that would do a Bible study. They would all go to the church and Chelsea said, you should come. And then within the first year, we went on a medical mission trip. And then I was a follower. So stuff, we were just like, we couldn't do enough to serve.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Did you get to meet your biological mother?
1: She passed away the way my wife found her was through an obit in mm-hmm. Michigan. And it had her maiden name, which is not usually the case. And it's rare. It's mm-hmm. viand. So I was always told my grandfather was the attorney that did the adoption. So I had full names, birth dates. And I was told that I was Irish, English, and French. And it turns out Vine's a Belgian name. So I'm Irish, Mm -hmm. English, and Belgian. But since then, through my father-in-law, who one year Christmas bought the family, I think it was Heritage. It turns out one of my three sons, the youngest, had like three and a half percent Jewish in him. And so Western Asia, Steph didn't have that in her. So I was like, okay, I got to get tested now. And sure enough, I have six point something percent jewish and then i'm 60 percent irish and english mostly irish
0: that's interesting yeah my sister did ours i mean she did it and have the same mother and father so i assume it was the same but we're 100 percent eastern european jew i find it fascinating to know but at first you didn't want to know and now are you happy that you have that
1: totally because we found a natural sister on mom's side first got to mm-hmm. know her so then, I had a younger brother who was, had grown up being the oldest, and then another sister. And then Steph found my natural father through property records in Michigan, and somehow got a hold through Facebook. A step sister ended up having two wives after the one that he would have married, which would have been my mother, and all girls.
0: My mother's mother has the same kind of story. A child was given up for adoption. Nobody ever talked about it. It's too bad that things have to be in secret and that there's shame attached to these things because people's lives are so affected.
1: i would heard that my natural mother, because she felt so guilty when she was dying from her cancer, that she wouldn't take her last rites, which is a kind of a Catholic thing of where you're rid of all sin, kind of confessional at the end of life. It's just sad because, I mean, the gift she gave me is huge the courage for a mom to actually hold their child for 10 days.
0: Thank you for seeing that there was courage there and that she gave you a life rather than the opposite. I appreciate that you see it that way.
1: Yeah. And since I've met my natural brother and my other sister, I've come back for family reunions. It was hard because I grew up with the loyalty. My my mom died from a heart attack pretty much in her sleep one morning when I was a freshman at college. Mm. Horrible phone call my dad. And then my dad died between my junior and senior year in college from lung cancer, paralyzed from the waist down mm. with the tumors metastasizing to his, his spine. So I had this huge loyalty and I'm like, you know, I do this crazy backpack trip every year, which comes up in four days where we're off trail with 70 pound packs for, for a week and doing some stupid stuff like guys do. And then I asked them, i my like, guys, tell me, should I reach out to him? Because I have this loyalty to my father. And he's like, you need to. And so I'm glad I did. He died from COVID complications a little over two years ago. His daughters were very jealous because he'd always tout, I've got a son, I've got a son, right? So for a dad, his legacy is carried on. And that was kind of my last conversation. with niece held the phone to his ear in the hospital bed. And that's what I told him was, um, I'm your legacy. So... And then he got a big smile. So she knows he heard it. And uh, so that was good. I think that's probably one of the last things he heard from me.
0: Being his legacy and also being a secret, do you have a message about any of that? What legacy do you want to leave?
1: I want to be very involved with my kids, my family, just people, and also with adopted people. I mean, my parents handled it very well. They told us at a very early age it was never a secret. They even said if you want to go find family, do so, we wouldn't be hurt by that. So I never got a chance to test that. But (laughs) I know they they would have been fine. But I think that's the key. So if you've adopted, just reveal it early. So it's not a big deal. And then I've seen other people been on the other side of that with friends that have given up a child and they're struggling with the child not wanting to have anything to do with them. So it doesn't always go well.
0: I just spent the weekend with somebody who gave her child up when she was 16, she's 58, and was able to reach out to the child even though it was a closed adoption and the child doesn't want anything to do with her. I guess I wish in general things weren't so veiled in secrecy because it leads to shame, the secret is the shame. wrote a book called saved and is it about physically being saved and also through god
1: it's all those things if you look back just my being born my parents that raised me were like the pace car on the track at the indy 500 they lead the whole crowd of cars behind them and then they pull off quickly and then the race begins right
0: oh that's a really beautiful way of describing it
1: teach you how to handle the car all the things in life you know I was listening to one of your podcasts with Nicole Karen. She'd said she heard something from her grandfather, and I was moving all my. You know, once my parents died, I had this house in Cupertino, and I needed to get it rented so it was taken care of by people. And so I moved everything out of it. And I remember pulling in in this gigantic Ryder truck. My dad and I would always back up a trailer with his car into our front driveway, and I would give him the signals to guide it in and stuff. And I'm like, "Where's my dad right now?" And it, It was like just my own thought of my own head. Look, my dad, like I said, has taught you these things. He's with you here now. Just do what he's always done.
0: I've been trying to have the conversation about death with my children. They're 28 and 24 almost.
1: Right.
0: And I was saying recently that I'll always be here. I said, my mother has always been with me, whether I knew it or not, because she passed when I was 18. And they can't hear me yet, but I think I'm going to keep saying it so that when I go, they'll know that I'm there for them. I think that was lovely that I learned in that podcast, actually, that they're always with us, whether or not we know it. The point for me of this podcast is that we can go through hard things and we don't have to be a victim and we can rise above our circumstances, which I didn't really know until my mid-40s, I think. And then I'm more than what I went through. Do you have advice for anybody who, whether it's adoption or whatever, maybe as a child, you felt like you were given away or whatever the feelings of unworthiness that we can have. Do you have any advice for people who are kind of stuck there?
1: In psychology, they talk about villain, victim, and and hero, right? So I think A lot of culture today is that victim mentality of whether it's racism or LGBTQA, or I'm just going to say, I'm blessed to have played a really physical sport called water polo. And I have fought and bled with people from other countries in the pool, like Brazil, Germany, Czechoslovakia, playing on a US team. When you get out of the water, we are all human. Male, female makes us different, but equal, right? So I think we need to just find a way to rise above the things that are holding you back. First is just realizing that this is holding me back. The second is to make a goal, but a goal is just a dream without action, right? So so the first step you can do to make it an action is write your goal down. Just write it down. And then keep looking at it every day. And if you're spiritual, pray about it, you know, in whatever method you worship God or whatever. So and that helps, I think, because again, that's now you're putting something in action by speaking it right, which is actually a passage in the Bible. If you don't speak your goals, they die. So recognizing first and then acting on it and then just trying to get out of that mentality. I've heard that for like one negative comment that you hear, it takes like 10 positive things to bring you back out of that negativity. So don't talk negative about yourself. Try not to talk negative about other people. They're people just like you and me.
0: I'll play tennis with ladies who are berating themselves on the tennis court. And I have said something like, it's difficult when you're berating yourself. It's difficult as your partner. And they're like, but I'm just talking about myself. But the more I love me, the more I love you. The more negative I am towards me, the more negative I am towards everybody starts from loving yourself.
1: The other example that you give is when I lead, and I've been trauma medical director for 20 years, I lead as a team. And when you do that, when someone fails in your team, some of them don't even need to be spoken to. They don't want to fail the team, right? I've gotten this way a few rare times where I'm operating and I, and I just can't get something done efficiently like I want to. And I will get mad at myself. But it makes the rest of, because I've been in there when other surgeons do that frequently. And I'm like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm failing them. It's just recognizing that you're behaving that way. And again, just trying to reroute it. There's a good book that I just finished called Switching on Your Brain. And she's a South African scientist that looks at neurochemistry. It used to be felt you had a brain injury. You're stuck with that. That's all. But that's not true anymore. We can reroute these chemicals that are in our brain by thinking positively and doing things. They've seen brain chemistry change with, and you just need to again realize it and then do the seven steps that she has you do. And you can get out of that particular behavior that you want to get out of.
0: Oh, that's cool. You said that sometimes in surgery, you're not getting it done the way you would like it to go. That never occurred to me.
1: (laughs) We have a couple of quotes that probably people don't want here. The enemy of good is better. If it's not perfect, but it's good, then don't play with it.
0: What's the other quote?
1: If it's not broke, don't fix it. So you got a ruptured spleen and you go in and it's not bleeding, then leave it there. It may re-bleed, but it may not. And the spleen is very important. Mm. Your immune system needs it tremendously. You can die from just strep throat. So if it's not broke, don't fix it.
0: I see. Those are good.
1: My calling early was empathy, healing, and teaching. And more recently, especially after writing the book, I feel like I'm being guided a new direction, which is uncomfortable, which is kind of where you should be feeling more called to unite. There's a picture in the book of my head blocking out part of a United Nations helicopter. And if you really look at the background, because I like looking at the subliminal messages that we get, it says you unite, T-I-O-N which is kind of now a verb for me to help unite humans, uh, people, nations, whatever. So I think the calling is for me to be like on a podcast or on a stage or talk to a group of people. I have a speaking engagement coming up with a bunch of supervisors of surgeons. So I'm like, hey, this is cool. Right up my alley.
0: That's beautiful. And I really love your image of everybody's the same I don't know why it's ingrained in us to be scared of different.
1: Right. I mean, if you really walked around and you thought, hey, brother, hey, sister, Mm -hmm. no age difference, just brother, sister, we're all family. Not that all families get along, but (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Right. What's that saying? If you look at, at your family and there's not one that's crazy in it, then it might be you. The other image I got from a different book that I read a long time ago was called The Vision, and it was some guy current day thinking that he may be, a, well, he disclaims himself as a prophet, but he's describing the dreams that he's having. And he describes this image of people on earth with this devil on their back or demon, and they can't see it, they can't feel it, but he could, because mm. I think he had a shield of pride on that protected him, gave him the ability to see, and they're, they're like, stabbing them they're doing very evil things to them we just don't know so maybe people who like our criminals have a demon on their back and christian would be we're all created in god's image which is perfect but somehow then we misbehave but maybe it's something that none of us can see so if you just look at each other as a brother and sister and love them right for who they are and not what they necessarily do and then go from there
0: and circumstances sometimes Not being a victim, but they do dictate sometimes actions. Right. For instance, I just interviewed somebody that has been in jail for 18 years and has 22 more to go because there's no chance of parole. Because when he was younger, he got in an altercation with his friend and accidentally killed him. Right. This person I spoke to was really a beautiful human and has become even more so and is getting his PhD. And like you said, a brother, a sister, he's just a a person who did something that has dictated his whole life now.
1: I always think of someone with road rage, right? Or that's what you think it is. Someone cuts Mm -hmm. you off, they're in a hurry. They're driving like crazy. Just reverse that and say, it's probably the empath in me. Maybe they've got their mother or a child in there that needs CPR and they're trying to get to a hospital. You don't know, but we go the worst.
0: Recently, I asked this person that's pretty well known in the community to be in a photo shoot that I was doing, and I didn't hear any response, and I was slighted. Right,
1: right. And
0: then I finally heard from her, and she was having terrible issues with her son, and it's just been the worst month she's ever had, and of course, it's not about me. I once heard a sermon, I'm not even religious, but somebody had shared it on Facebook, and I loved it. It was about being unoffendable.
1: That was a book as a lady i've heard her speak
0: so good yeah i just have to keep reminding myself though because i have the tools but i don't always use them this was really really enjoyable i really appreciate it
1: yeah i enjoy you you have this very calming voice so it's uh it's it's easy to talk to
0: oh thank you i appreciate that thank you so much
1: okay thank you
0: thank you for joining us for this week's episode of beneath your beautiful hosted by hara allison and thank you for your ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned.